I asked myself the question. The question was, could I really change the expected trajectory of my life as a farm kid who was expected to then join his dad in the farming operation? Mm -hmm. That was my life. There was no other option ever discussed, ever, with my dad other than working with him on the farm. And I thought, could I change that expected direction of my life by controlling what I think about, what goes into my mind? Welcome to The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we expound on Zig Ziggler's be, do, and have philosophy, meaning you have to be the right kind of person, then do the right things before you can expect to have what really matters in life. And we want you to have what matters. Also, check out my podcast, What Drives You, where we talk with people who have reached impressive achievements to ask what drove them, good and bad. And we dig into the very motives that drive us all with the goal of clarifying just what is driving you. Then in my True Life podcast, we want to get you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three of my shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to The Ziggler Show, I invite you to visit ziggler.com. Connect with Tom Ziggler and the Ziggler family about upcoming events and how they can come alongside you and help you inspire your true performance. It's one thing to hear what a high achiever's habits are today, but what were their habits before they were a high achiever? So I'm revising these habits shows for a while going forward, maybe forever in this manner though. And today I bring you my guest from episode 907, where we discussed work and whether it must be so meaningful. It's Dan Miller, renowned career coach and author of 48 days to the work you love. Also my father. He champions successful habits to his audience at large. And in this episode, we walk through the habits he developed coming from an ultra conservative upbringing on the farm with Amish roots to the best-selling author who today drives a tricked out Corvette. I mean, what was the evolution and the mentality from then to now? Uh, as his next birthday is going to ring him in at 75 years old. So I think this habits evolution format gives us more insight into how to develop our own habits better than just hearing what has someone who's achieved success, what are they doing just today? So you can find Dan's podcast, just search for 48 days. Well, this may be the dawn of a new habits show, as I, as I said in the intro, where it's not just what are the habits you're doing today, but how have they evolved? So I found myself thinking about that for myself. And so here you are, my dad. And, uh, you know, I got to be privy to some of those way back when, but just curious as you, I mean, hopefully we're all maturing and getting wiser, how have the habits evolved? So I just wanted to take a walk through with you and uh, see how they've changed and grown. All right. If you want to, if you want to hit, I mean, the first one I usually look at is personal uh, health and wellness as, as you know, and if, and folks, gosh, I'll have to pull the, I'll pull the episode number out and put it in the intro, but you did a show with Dr. Randy James and I in the true life show about your significant health. We call it a makeover that happened. What? A couple years ago now. Are we about that? three years ago, about now. three years ago. But that again, that's, you know, that's after you're in your seventies. So yeah, take us, take us back and walk us forward into your personal health and wellness 
habits, physical nutrition things? Sure. Growing up on a farm, you know, we never really focused on physical wellness. It was just a natural component of living on a farm. We're very active. You get up in the morning, you go milk the cows, you throw bales of hay. You know, we certainly weren't looking to go to the gym to work out. It would have been ludicrous to think about it back then. So it's just kind of a natural part of living. And as you know, you know, as your living style changes, sometimes not having that as a habit you can all of a sudden be living a very sedentary life physically. I've always been pretty intentional about my my health habits as I did move into different kind of lifestyle where I wasn't so active. You know, I've always done things. Now, this has not changed over the years. I enjoy solitary workouts. I don't need anybody around me to cheer me or coax me on. Uh, The workout itself is its own reward. And I'm still like that. I mean, this morning, here I am at you know 74 years old. I walked the loop in our community. It's 3.7 miles. And I came back and I jumped on my bicycle and then rode it for two laps around. So that's my pretty typical morning. That's what I enjoy most. I have to really talk myself into doing other kinds of um, strenuous workouts for body muscles and all that. I don't do that well. I don't have consistent habits in that arena, and I, I never have. As you know, at one point I owned a health and fitness center, but it was just a business. I didn't enjoy the environment at all. Now, you might remember years ago I had a solo flight. Yeah, yep, I did. the house. You know, I liked that, those expanding bands that you would put on with different weight resistance. I liked that, the kind of overall workout that I could get. So there have been times like that. And, of course, at our house in Tennessee, I had a treadmill. I was really consistent on that. And so now what I do at this season of life is the, certainly a cardiovascular workout. I walk at a brisk pace, and then I jump on my bicycle. That's pretty consistent at least five days a week. How about on the nutrition side? How is, how has the dietary aspect evolved? Growing up as I did on the farm, we just had a lot of natural food right out of the garden, milk from the cows, beef from the cows that we raised, you know, chickens, all of that. It was a real natural, uh, certainly just a, a very authentic farm to table. So there was not much thought about it. It was just survival. We weren't real intentional about that. And as I've gotten older and realized that having access to other kind of foods, you know, processed foods can cause me problems if I'm not intentional about it, I become way more conscious of it. So I've experimented with a lot of things and I've never really found something that I stayed with religiously, consistently, you know, experimenting with you know, Weight Watchers, which your mom has been on um, for a lot of years and the keto diet, the different kind of diets that come along. By nature, I really enjoy pretty much a vegetarian diet. It seems strange because I was raised having meat three times a day, but I don't enjoy that. Even at this point, I would much prefer a salad to a steak and uh, pretty much stick to that when we go out. Again, I'm not really rigorous about it at this point. uh, Having worked with Dr. Randy James and you, you know, I I really am in excellent health. I feel great in the mornings. I get up rested, ready to go. I'm not achy, stiff anywhere at all. So I'm enjoying great health. And I want to be conscious about it, but it's not a really highly intentional part of my life. 
Well, I do like that. I talk about it so often. The video you sent, well, you talked about it. You guys, so you're in a car club, you know, fancy car club. You guys go to the Ferrari club and you right. know, check out the Ferraris. And every once in a while, one of your buddies would go, I'll, I'll, I'll cough up 300 grand for that one. And they pick that thing up. But you talking about the litmus test somewhat of can these pick on the guys, can these old rich guys get in and then get out? of that low slung car and that video you sent of the guy getting out of, I don't know, what was it? A Lamborghini or a, yeah. I, I don't know, getting out of it. And he, he ended up on all fours laughing. It was really funny, but came out hands first, hands first. I, I love that because Dr. Randy James, I mean, one of his things lately has been just kind of, you know, how do you measure health? Uh, to some degree, it's, it's up to you individually as to what level of performance you want and ability and whatnot. But he said, there are some basics. I mean, should you be able to do, so many push-ups, pull-ups, whatever, but from a full body thing coming to what you talked about with these guys, it was, can you stand up and then get back down off the floor without using your hands? And uh-huh. which, you know, you kind of got to do it cross-legged and pick yourself yeah. up and then put yourself down. But that's one that, uh, yeah, your guy in the video would not have passed that test. He's going to, he's going to have to yeah. work on it, getting that in that Lambo. Well, when I was struggling a few years ago, when I had kind of a, a really a meltdown and was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, Hashimoto's disease, Epstein-Barr, and all those wonderful terms that doctors want to give you when they aren't sure what's going on. I was struggling even in that regard. Mm. My Corvette sat pretty idle for a while. It was more mm. comfortable for me to use an SUV rather than that. Not true anymore. I mean, I love jumping in and out of my car. No problem at all. Yeah, doing that. I like that. I like that test. Well, relationships. Next one on the you know, spoke. Oh, go ahead. One of, the things, one of the things too, I just thought of, I, I kind of test myself. Like in the morning when I take a shower, I, I stand on one leg to lift the other leg up and dry it off. And I know that's a challenge for some people, just that kind of balance. But I test myself on that. You know, can I still do that? And glad to say that yes that's that's not a problem that's a, putting, my, putting my briefs on yeah no, not a problem lift one leg no that's another one that's another one that randy pulls out is when do you get to the point of in your closet putting a stool or a chair to put your socks on oh man yeah i got that one yeah so th- that one got that one got me thinking as well same you know even uh, in the shower you know can you wash your feet with your bar of soap uh, just standing there because yeah, it's not only some core strength and some flexibility, but just the balance and balance is, as you know, is a big thing as folks get older. Right. Yeah. Relationships then, uh, you know, looking Mm -hmm. at the habits for your healthy relationships, how, how is that, uh, how's that evolved? All right. Probably hasn't changed a whole lot. I tend to be kind of solitary by nature, but I've always understood the power of relationships, the power of reaching out. One of the things that I use as kind of a model, and certainly not original with me, but I've used it over the years, is I think everybody ought to have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy in their life. A Paul, somebody who's older, who can speak wisdom into you and will do that freely and speak the truth and love. Barnabas, somebody come alongside and say, you know, what do you want to accomplish? How can we kind of link arms and do this together and support each other? And then Timothy, somebody who's younger that you can speak into, have the privilege of helping them when they're maybe not quite as far along in the path as you are. Now, those are metaphorical kind of examples because it's not just one person, but I have people in those categories. And I think about people that I've 
reached out to, people who were, were influencers. I mean, my gosh. And as you know, I just got a couple cases of the Ziegler book, Born to Win. And as you can see there, my video, if you see that, uh, what I have there, I've got a, a gold sticker on there from the office of Dan Miller. I put those on there and then give those out as gifts to people. But in reaching out to Zig, you know, how could I reach out to somebody that had that kind of impact, that kind of influence? I started going to his events. You know, it took you along as a teenager, as a little kid, when you would go along and then ultimately, you know, develop relationships with him. Other people like Mark Victor Hansen, you know, again, went to an event with him just so I could be around somebody who was a high performer and uh, joined a community that he had called Enlightened Millionaires. I've done that over and over and over again to reach out, even if I would be more comfortable just sitting at home, and in many ways I would, but I recognize the power of that yeah. in pulling myself ahead. It's like when you were racing bicycles, you know, you were really good as a BMX racer. You could race in your age category and win every Sunday and bring home a big trophy. That's not what you wanted to do. You wanted to always be thrown in a group where you were over your head, where there were people who were much better than you because it stretched you to be better. I mean, that's a great trait to have. And I've certainly used that in reaching out to people, you know, those relationships. One of the things that I, that I do a lot is to every every Monday afternoon. My Monday afternoons are dedicated to doing endorsements and forwards of books. So I have lots and lots of books out there where, you know, forward mm -hmm. by Dan Miller. Uh, that's one, uh, Scott Beebe's book, Gallery Ray Edwards' new book, Permission to Prosper, yeah. and I did the forward on that. So those that's another way where I intentionally create those relationships and nurture those. I have a list that I call my 3 a.m. list. Who could I call at 3 a.m. who has a trusted, I have a trusted relationship with them where they care enough about me that I know they would respond. Now, I put in there the caveat that they would send me $10,000 without a lot of questions if I needed it. But, you know, somebody where I have a trusted relationship with, have I nurtured those relationships? And what I encourage others to do, and certainly I've done myself, is to whatever age you are, to have that many people on your list. So at this point, I have 101 people on that list of mine. Now, I've got a, a few years to go before I reach that. So I've got a little margin there. Yeah. But that's a list that I take very seriously. And I do things to reach out. I text people. I write them notes, send them gifts, those kind of things to nurture those relationships. Again, that being a very intentional part of my life, not something that just comes naturally. But I recognize the value of strong relationships, family, friends, and beyond. Well, and I obviously saw that, and it sticks out to me always was a testimony to me because like you i'm pretty happy by myself um mm -hmm. uh for better and worse you know but I'm, I'm happy to be solitary but it was that of realizing the power the health the benefit and even the opportunity of relationships and it's interesting we're seeing more and more stuff uh come out howard partridge wrote the book i think it was the uh, the Power of Community a few years ago. I just got one in the mail. You may have seen this one already. Uh, Creating Community, and it's by Andy Stanley. 
and uh, Bill Willits, who asked to be on the show. But it was, it's, I, th- I think it's looking at that issue that we, and we hear it all the time. I don't know if we're doing a whole lot about it as a culture. Hopefully the people listening to the show are, where we realize that we are more connected than ever and more isolated than ever. And uh-huh. you know, it's got to be a primary ingredient going into the rapid increase in diseases of despair, depression, and uh, anxiety, well, what- and being alone. Yeah. Well, one of the most powerful things I've done in recent years is to create an online community mm-hmm. for a 48 days community and recognizing the value of allowing people to connect with each other. So it's not just one directional me to them or them to me, but it's they can talk to each other as well and experiment with ideas and ways that they're developing their passion and growing ideas, yeah. moving into their dreams. So that's been really really big and i enjoy it because it doesn't require that i'm on stage at all i I can really be one of the crowd in there and i love the way that people kind of rise to levels of leadership through sharing and encouraging others and very generously sharing their their ideas and resources but can i i like initiating that even if it doesn't require a lot from me on an ongoing basis third spoke here's mental and you know, this is one where, again, I'm prone to say, okay, so what's the evolution been? But knowing you as long as I've done it or I've had, I wonder, is this another one where it's been pretty static? I mean, pretty, you, you seem to always have invested well in the mental aspect of your life. It's been, it's been very consistent and some of the same principles. As you remember, when I was a farm kid, 13 years old, I got a hold of the little audio recording by Earl Nightingale called The Strangest Secret where he talks about, you know, we become what we think about. Now, you know, my buddies weren't necessarily interested in positive motivational material. They were interested in, your know, girly magazine. I was going to say, yeah, the other kid's picking up a Playboy, and here's Dan Miller with his little 45 of uh, this I would listen goofy to that. guy with the deep voice. Yeah. Yeah, over and over and over again. And it became a really foundational principle for me then and continues to be so today. But we become what we think about. And in doing that, I asked myself the question. The question was, could I really change the expected trajectory of my life as a farm kid who was expected to then join his dad in the farming operation? Mm -hmm. That was my life. There was no other option ever discussed, ever, with my dad other than working with him on the farm. And I thought, could I change that expected direction of my life by controlling what I think about, what goes into my mind? And I found it to be a very powerful principle. And that and then books, I started reading books, you know, Think and Grow Rich, The Magic of Thinking Big, See You at the Top is a good book, Dale Carnegie Classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Those were the things I was drawn to. And those opened the window of opportunity for me like nothing else has ever come close. And that, because it's so powerful, is a practice that I continue today. When I went through a really tough financial disaster, you know, when you were about 17 years old, you made some decisions in a business, ended up deeply in debt and recovering from that, which turned out to be a, a long process. But I wanted to make sure that I kept feeding my mind positive information, believing much like Zig talks about, you know, our minds are like gardens. If you let a weed start in there, it's going to multiply and grow. 
if to crowd those out, you can't just have nothing. You have to force them out by filling your mind with positive information. So during that recovery period, I started as a habit to dedicate at least two hours a day to listening or reading positive, pure, clean, uplifting information. And that was so powerful in helping me recover that it's a practice I've never discontinued. Now, I enjoy that. That's not something that's forced at all. I love, love, love reading. I go back and reread books that I read years ago, but I, I do enjoy reading a lot. That comes very easy, but that's been a real key to keep pulling me forward, even at this season of life, is the reading that I do. Well, I'm grateful again for the example of that and uh, passing that on as well. You are listening to The Ziegler Show and this episode with Dan Miller on the evolution of his successful habits. Next, he addresses finances and how his greatest faith is in his ability to generate income, not necessarily cut back on his life and expenses. But he also shares it's an area where his habits have notoriously been less than healthy over the span of his life. Four is financial. Now that one, I'm going to guess has, there's been some evolution there. I, I witnessed some of what you're talking about, some of the ups and downs of the finances. So talk about the habits in your financial journey. If there's any of the areas that you have listed for me here, where I have been lax, where I haven't had really clear plans, it's in the financial area. I, I've never approached that with any real clear system or method. And it, it evolves in this way, being an entrepreneur, you know, I've never had a job, I've never gone to look for a job because I always wanted the open-ended opportunity of just producing something where I get paid on the results. So when I look at finances, if I'm in trouble financially, I never think about Okay, if we don't go on a cruise this year, you know, if I get rid of my car, I never think in terms of reducing what I have. I always think in terms of how can I earn more? I mean, a few years ago, I had at the end of the year, my accountant said, gee, you owe the IRS another $25,000. And I thought, well, crap, you know, $25,000. I didn't expect that. Got to come up with that. My thinking doesn't go to, okay, if we don't go out to eat, you know, for the next year, you know, if we don't do this, don't buy clothes. No, it's all, what do I have to do to generate that? Now, in that situation, what I did is I put together a little coaching opportunity, and it was like living the dream in 2017 or something like that. And then what I did, I think it was 2007, and then what I did is I said, okay, I'll work with you. Two sessions will have individually and two sessions as a group, I think. I made it a package and I made it $2,017. Wow. And I said, I'm only going to take like 17 people. I think I did all these things that kind of an alliteration. And in 24 hours, having just put that note out to my audience, those spots were taken and the $25,000 was there. That's always how I think. When there's a challenge, how can I make more money? Not how can I reduce my spending? Now, that's about as complicated as my financial plans get, unfortunately. And that, that has not served me well. I've never enjoyed 
finances. But the, the day when I meet with my bookkeeper once a month, I dread that day. It's like going to the dentist for me. Just get it over with, get it out of the way. I don't enjoy it. So I've never been really intentional as much as every other area that you mentioned. That's the sloppiest area of my life. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I don't regret a lot of what I've done in that arena, but I know I could be much more disciplined there than I am. I'm just, even, I don't even hear myself saying, I wish I were. I just say, I know I could be. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just out of curiosity. I mean, is there any carryover? You've mentioned, you know, growing up on the farm a couple of times, and I'm, I'm not fishing for something I don't really know, but is there any carryover from what you saw your dad do financially or anything there that gave you any perspectives, uh, good or bad, on finances? I, I didn't learn any lessons from my dad about that at all. The dollars were always a struggle. There was never enough. Hmm. He was bivocational. You know, he would pastored a little tiny church. And once a quarter, that church would take up a love offering for our family. Now, once a quarter, so four times a year, they take up a love offering. And I remember sometimes that got as high as 40 or $50. Wow. That was it. That was my dad's pay. So we eked out a living on the farm. And you would milk the cows, sell the milk. You know, we'd have some cash crops like soybeans and all. But it was always just, just scratching out a living. There was never enough. I mean, at Christmas time, I would get a new pair of blue jeans for the coming year, and that was pretty much it. Yeah. So money was never talked about. There were, it was just um, a necessary evil to have to deal with it. Yes, there were bills to be paid. We never had enough. And that was as far as we got. We never talked about opportunities to make more. And, of course, now, you know, I'm humbled to say this, but now, obviously, in a, in a good day, I often make more money than my dad ever made in a year of working on the farm. But his whole approach to money was different. Rather than seeing opportunities and seeing the things that it could give you that would bring enjoyment, it was just a necessary thing that you had to do. So you just had enough. Yeah. And of course, there was some theology wrapped in with that as well. But, you know, we were taught that money was dangerous, you know, and people that had a lot of money were probably doing bad things to get it. So the whole yeah. mentality about it was not healthy. But I've never really developed my own healthy approach to money. I just like having it. I can make it in multiple ways. And it's, it's served us okay in that regard. Well, it's interesting how many people I've had on the show, which are almost, uh, gosh, almost 100%, I would say, self-employed people. And how many times they respond, the testimony is, one, man, I don't enjoy money, money but uh, if I have any habit, it's I'm good at making it. So there you go. Uh, there's the, the, uh, an entrepreneurial flag for you. Uh, five is spiritual. And, um, you know, this one I, I talk about once in a while, just being raised in the, in the church, in the Christian realm, in the Bible Belt. Of course, which you were living in until just recently. Are Florida still the Bible Belt? Is that still considered? No, not really. Not really? Okay. Well, so tell us tell us about the spiritual side, spiritual habits. Got Heinz 57 down here in Florida, oh. a little bit of everything. Well, I was raised in a very legalistic church with my dad being a pastor. So we were in church twice on Sunday, <clears throat> Wednesday night, 
and a lot of times for meetings during the week. Yeah. I grew up with that. It was very harsh. There was no enjoyment. It was something we had to do. And that's how I viewed it. It was just something I had to do to go there. So as I got a little older, by the time I was about 16, I decided I didn't want any, any part of that anymore and pretty much left it totally. Believing that if that's you know what spiritual well-being meant, I was going to take my chances and be outside of that kind of legalism. But over the years, I met people who are living really rich spiritual lives and very vibrant, very joyful, and enjoy you know driving nice cars and having nice things as well. And I thought, wow, if these things go together, then it gives me a different view on that. So I was fortunate to meet some mentors along the way who really helped guide me in that arena into a much richer kind of faith. And I don't mean that just financially, but that as well, but a richer kind of faith. So as you know, over the years, uh, your mother and I have had an extremely ecumenical journey. We've not been just part of one denomination. We've been part of lots of different denominations. We've been Methodist and Presbyterian and Baptist and Assembly of God and Pentecostal and, um, uh, well, yeah, Methodist, I think I mentioned that. So we've, we've not been locked into one tradition. We've enjoyed that journey a lot. But over the years, I find that I really am most enriched with a more personal faith and spiritual walk. So on Sunday mornings, you know, your mom and I are sitting out here in the one eye by the pool, reviewing what we've done for the week, what we're reading. We go to early lunch together, relax. We really experience Sabbath in a very different way than traditional Christianity has done in our culture. I enjoy that a lot. Yeah. I feel like I have a richer spiritual life at this point than I've ever had in my life in terms of how I experience that meditation, prayer, reading, communication, deep conversations with people have uh, given me a much more rich, real experience than just showing up at church for 58 minutes on a Sunday morning and coming home and mowing the yard. Uh, here's a question I'm just curious on that I'm curious with it with anybody who at least professes a spiritual faith is are there any specific voices, authors that you gravitate towards? Well, like for me, I mean, I know it's, it's Frederick Beekner and Dallas Willard are kind of top of the list. I'm, um, I, I, I've been on the fringes, but never really dug in. And I'm digging in now to Richard Rohr uh, some, but those which I'm, I'm, I'm interested in there. But just curious if there are certain ones you find yourself resonating with more. Really, the, the short answer is no. But in doing that, that doesn't mean that I can't find anybody that I like. I like a lot of people. My reading in the spiritual arena is very, very broad and includes some names that I usually don't mention in public formats. Yeah, like I know that. some of them. I won't, I won't out you. <laughs> <laughs> Just because people in that area tend to be pretty narrow yeah. in their perspective. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad, but you know, I like to read really broadly. So I read about a variety of religions and the religious thought leaders um, from across a really broad spectrum. And I enjoy that a lot. Now, what that requires then is some discernment to really filter through all that and come up with what your core beliefs are going to be. But there's not really anybody that I can name that, oh, wow. You know, he, he or she, my go-to person, everything they say 
is true. Nah, I, I really don't do that. And I don't want to come across as arrogant in that and saying that, you know, nobody nobody pleases me. There are some people that I really do enjoy their content, read everything that they write. But that includes a lot of people. Yeah. It's not very narrow. It's a broad list. How about career? Six spoke is career. And of course you've been, you know, I know, and most people listening will know you as a lifetime entrepreneur. You just mentioned that, but you know, it is interesting with Zig's story that the Zig Ziglar that we know didn't start till 45 and the Zig Ziglar, the persona, the voice that most people know is gosh, probably not what till mid sixties that we, that the, the iconic Zig Ziglar, it was later in life. And before that he's selling pots and pans, you know, for you, Everybody knows you as a 48 days guy, which started, gosh, what, around the same time? 45, 50 for you? Mid-40s. Mid-40s, okay. Mid-40s, yep. Okay. I was, um, when I came out of that financial hole that I had created and got back to zero, zero net worth, Yeah. I was 53 years old. And it's really since then that everything people know me for today began. So... Uh, that's when the first version of 48 Days to the Work You Love came out, was when I was 53 years old. So it's been since that time that I've developed the things that I do today. What was the the evolution, though, of going, I've sometimes you know wondered about this with you, and even as we talk about, gosh, we did the show, well, let's see, this is 909, so it must have been 907, talking about meaningful work. How, you know, how meaningful does it need to be? And you did things... I saw you go from things that were of interest to you to things that, well, you mentioned the health club that were just, you saw it just as a business idea that didn't pan out so well, you know, but now to something that you see is altruistic. I mean, how has, has that been just again, some of an organic procession or something that you decided upon? Because back when I was a kid, you had auto appeal, this automotive aftermarket accessories you're putting in sunroofs and stripes and tinting windows and moldings and radios and so many things and you enjoyed cars i don't know that you saw it as hey i'm you know making the world a better place uh, necessarily but was there a thought process there or just organic no there's pretty much a consistent thought process even in those kind of things you know the idea of find a need help people solve it and, and I feel like I was doing that even with the auto accessories business like you're talking about. I love doing that. I, my whole motive, though, was to help the car dealers be more profitable in what they were doing. That was They were my customers, and I wanted to serve them in that way, and that worked extremely well for me. So instead of going in and saying, I'm selling these products, you know, what can I sell you? What, I'm like, how much total margin do you have when you sell a Ford Escort? It was like $400. What if I could show you another $400 in profit? Would that be of interest to you? Well, yeah. Well, we can put in a sunroof. We can put in a stereo system. We can put on some fancy stripes. And all of a sudden, they have another 400 I mean, I was seen as a hero. I mean, I would come into car dealerships, and uh, the owner of the big Ford dealership, Kenny Wallace in Bowling Green, you know, he'd say, well, here's, here's seven escorts. Just give me a mix of products on all of them. I just give me carte blanche. I'd go do my thing. I'd walk into the office. I'd give my invoice to the lady in the office and she'd give me a check. I mean, it was immense trust because I really was serving them well. When I was in graduate school, getting my master's degree, you were just a little guy. You were about four years old. 
I painted houses. And again, I mean, I, I wanted to help people by doing that. It wasn't just, what can I do to make money? It's how can I do something that really has high value to people? And so I was doing that. People loved what I was doing. Some people were older couples and I would restore the beauty of their house. You know, if somebody was living in an apartment and I just make the whole place a nicer living area. I mean, I've always seen that. I've, I've never had work that I saw as only a means to make an income. I always found things where I thought I could really serve people well in doing that. But I've always looked for work models where that were really open-ended as well. So if you want me to wash cars, I'm not interested in being paid $15 an hour. You tell me I'm going to get paid $5 per car and turn me loose. I would way go, rather go with no guarantee, but no ceiling. Hmm. So that's been a real consistent theme in the kind of careers that I've had. When I came out of that horrendous debt that I had created, about half a million dollars debt, came out of that after years of working on it, got back to zero income that I mentioned at 53, I had some real clear choices. Well, I, even at the beginning of that journey, when I found myself in that horrendous situation, owing million, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars, <clears throat> I had two choices. I could go get a job. I already at that point had a master's in psychology. I was already teaching as an adjunct at the university. It'd be very easy to get a position teaching or in a counseling center or whatever. That had no interest for me at all because it was predictable, it was secure, but it was also had a clear ceiling on it. So if I got a position making $70,000 as a university professor with the debt I had, I'd never see the light of day. Had three small kids, it never worked. I needed something that didn't have a ceiling. So I chose something that had zero guarantee. I went out the first morning, zero guarantee, knocking on doors, but it was commission. And because it was commission and I figured out a system to do it well, I got to the point where I was generating decent income in about three months' time, far beyond what I would have ever made. But that's always been my mentality. So the, so the careers can change. I've had a variety of things that I've done, but there always is. A, I, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm invigorated by the challenge of having something that's open-ended. But I also really believed in everything that I've done that I was serving people well and doing it. Well, and I want to pick out from that, that if people don't know the story, that 48 days and what it is today started from you uh, volunteering for a Sunday school class at Christ Church in Nashville, Tennessee to help people with their careers. And I remember the story of mom finally saying, look, you haven't actually made it to the church service in weeks because you get people keep asking questions. Maybe you should make this a little more official and maybe even charge for it. And what yeah. a great place for it. There's a animated, I think it's called robots or something. A, a kids show kids movie back then. I think it's Robin Williams even does one of the parts or something. And it was see a need, fill a need, just as you said. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And, then, and there's so many opportunities to do that. Yeah. And to really do them well, it doesn't have to be one thing where you're going to change the world, but you can serve at so many different kinds of opportunities. So that has been consistent. That's been a consistent habit of mine in terms of the work model that I'm attracted to, but also in terms of having a clear sense of I'm going to help people figure out what their, what their problem is and how I can help them solve it. Last spoke is 
personal, which I usually showcase as, you know, what do you do for fun and play and hobbies and self-care and whatnot? And I know historically you've even, you know, admittedly said, man, I just enjoy my work. Um, now, you know, I did, now you just left your big estate in Franklin, Tennessee, where you spent a lot of time. I don't know if what you call it, if it was a hobby, a play or whatever outside dealing with, or, or, you know, tending to the place. And that was a significant outlet that you don't have as much now. So I'm not even sure what all fits in this category for you. Well, this, this is one of those areas. This is another area that is close to financial and me not having it done really well. I was raised again in an environment where the only thing we valued was productive work. Yeah, There was no value put on play. It was wasting time, wasting the gifts God had given you. That's how it was viewed. We went on one family vacation. I was five years old. That's the only family vacation we ever took. We never went to a amusement park, never went to the beach. There was none of that at all. It was just work. Work was the only thing that mattered. And so I grew up with that kind of mentality. I've never really done a great job of undoing that kind of philosophy. Now I do have the option to relax and have fun, but I still find that I enjoy working more than playing. It's hard work for me to enjoy playing, (laughs) which seems ridiculous, but it is. I mean, your mother still chastises me all the time. You know, wow, why do you keep, you know, working? like you do. Why don't you just chill up? We live in a community where most of the guys here, you know, golf. Some of them three days, five days a week, they golf. They do other kind of things. I have to really work to just slow down and enjoy. It's kind of a catch-22 because I really still enjoy the work that I do. I enjoy writing, reading, thinking, communicating with people, helping them move forward in their lives. I mean, I really enjoy those things way more than I do going to Tahiti for a week and sitting on the beach, you know, sipping coconut water. So it's not an area that I have developed a lot of great hobbies. I don't have things that I consistently do. I still work 50 hours a week. That's pretty much what I uh, have licensed with your mom to do. She knows that I enjoy that. She's very involved in the community. She plays canasta. She's involved in art groups, on committees and all that. I'm not. I'm pretty much work. And then on the weekends, yeah, we do, you know, some fun things, go to festivals and all that. But I don't have consistent hobbies at all. Well, I'm going to pull out a couple, though, that I do know that you're involved in, like the car club that we mentioned. That's, you know, cars has always been of interest to you. You talked about going to festivals, and I'm used to seeing mom post something to the family chat of you guys at an old car show or, or whatnot. And you guys do a lot of events. Um, also games, you and mom play so many games. Yeah. That's you you guys play a lot of games, which is a neat outlet. I think. Well, you're, you're right. Thanks for that reminder. Yeah. We play games every single day. Yeah. Um, we have, we have every game you can think of. We enjoy, and we also do puzzles. I mean, I like, get puzzles they just ordered five uh your oldest son caleb helped us i saw the, i saw a picture yeah and i i just ordered five more puzzles and i tend to get the ones old time scenes with hot rod cars in them old gas stations things like that motorcycles but we do that and i enjoy that but i approach it 
with the same kind of intensity yeah. as I do to get something done. You know, if we started, by golly, we're going to finish it until <laughs> one o'clock in the morning to do it. <laughs> well, you know, so to our Dr. Andy James, uh, you know, he talks sometimes about the hard work of relaxation. Oh, my. Of, of getting out of that productivity uh, mode. And speaking of that, the other thing that I was going to pull out too, that I don't know for how many years now you and mom get a massage every week. You still doing that? We do. Yes, yeah. we do. Yeah. And we go on, typically we go on cruises at least once a year. So there's some things that are pretty consistent like that. I was just exploring this morning because we're eager to go again as cruises are opening up. But yeah, we do get massages on Friday afternoon. Uh, we have date night. You know, we do a lot of um, do a lot of going out for entertainment. We're going to uh, Jerry Lewis, Jerry, yeah, Jerry Lewis concert. You know, obviously a, a makeover of that this next week. But we go to a lot of plays and concerts here locally now that we're in Florida. No. Yep. So there are some things like that. So it's not all all work. It's certainly not a drudgery, but um, still, those things are a small part of my normal day. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks. That was fun. Even for uh, me, I learned some new things. But yeah, I hope people appreciate seeing the evolution. I think I'll keep doing that because I think as we all progress and learn and grow that our habits change. And my gosh, man, there's habits is obviously a popular term these days and one that we all want to embrace more. So uh, thank you. Thanks for that behind the scenes walk, Dad. Well, absolutely. I love the conversation. And I do. I'm very intentional about my life. You know, pretty much everything that we've talked about, even where I realize I don't have good systems in place, I'm pretty intentional. And I, and I like that. This is a fun journey. And to look back, this has been fun to look back and think about. There are some things where I'm very much like when I was 16 years old. I really haven't changed my habits. They serve me in a different way at this point. But a lot of consistency there. But I, this is a reminder to look at what is it that I need to change in terms of my habits. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely, Dad. Thanks. I am liking this evolution of habits format. Uh, if you do, let me know at kmiller at kevinmiller.co. Love to hear from you. Again, you can find Dan Miller's podcast at 48 Days. Just search for 48 Days wherever you get your podcast. Coming up next in episode 910 of The Ziggler Show, we discuss the power and opportunity of learning mastery in an area. But my mastery in this message, at least, I mean just having tasks that you can do, in essence, mindlessly. These are the tasks we often discount, but as you'll hear Zig Ziggler share, they actually free up our minds for some great creativity. Till then, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 